Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's good to have you guys with us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. We are finishing a series called Fish and Chips, and we've been looking at the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle in all four Gospels from all the different Gospel writers' angles. And today, we get to Luke a look at Luke's gospel today. Um, well, um, I had the opportunity to go to Yosemite uh, National Park, and I had never like really heard about El Capitan and all those things. I'm just not really, a, I'm from Turkey, North Carolina, y'all. So I don't know a lot about that stuff. But um, when I went there, um, I began to watch like the climbers. I had binoculars. You could watch these guys climbing El Capitan and, and the face is called the Dawn Walls, the kind of the nickname of it. The sun just kind of rises on it. It was so interesting to see even at night you would drive by and the lights were up there. They were sleeping on the side of that, that huge flat rock mountain there. And it was like just fascinating. And then I found out Netflix had a documentary called Free Solo. Anybody have watched that, that one? That was so fascinating because there's a story of a guy named Alex Honnold who free climbed El Capitan. And so I'm watching this documentary, and it was really good, don't get me wrong, because I'd never even understood the idea of free climbing and all that stuff, and that um, he'd be the first person ever to do this. But here's what really, really got me. Here's what pushed me over the edge to have to, like, lean into this. When he was trying to do this, it took him a long time to continue to try and then come back and train and try and train. He couldn't finish it. He actually cut one of his fingers off by accident. And if you're a climber, like, everything you have is in your fingers. Like, that's your, I mean, this guy's, his fingers were strong, man. They were like, they were like legs, you know, like they were, some things were strong, big. And he cut that, and so he, he was at an extreme disadvantage. So now not only could he not do it with all of his fingers, but now he has to try to retrain himself to do it with nine fingers. And so I'd, I'd watched all the way to the end of it. I was on the edge of my seat. And the reason I was on the edge of my seat was because he had something happen to him that could have shut him down. He had an obstacle that came into his life that could, he could have said, well, I couldn't do it with 10 fingers. There's no way now I can do it with nine. And I watched that because it was nothing short of what I would call a miracle for that guy to get across there and be the first person to ever do it. And if we look at the feeding of the 5,000, what, what you have to realize here is that they had a huge obstacle. The disciples were hungry. Jesus had just lost his best friend who was beheaded, John the Baptist. The crowds were hungry. The ministry crowds were getting bigger and bigger, and now there's this huge problem that comes up that these crowds need to be fed. And what Luke does, Luke is the gospel writer we'll look at today, is Luke is the guy who went and did research. Now remember Matthew was with Jesus. He was a, a disciple that walked with Jesus. He was a tax collector who got transformed. And then we understood that Mark was someone who we believe and the church fathers had passed down to us that he sat down with Peter and Peter said, hey, look, here's what happened. And then we see John was the last living apostle, and so his was a lot different. He goes into really deep conversations with Philip and Andrew with the feeding of the 5,000. But Luke is very matter-of-fact. He's like the guy from Dragnet, if you're old enough to remember that. Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Luke is very matter-of-fact because he was a doctor who did research. He came to Christ later. It was during Paul's life. He came to follow Jesus, and he said, hey, look, I want to go and write a gospel, a research letter on this, and I want to interview people, and I want to find out what really happened. And then he followed up with the history of the early church, which will start a series in that in two weeks. And he kind of gives you just the bare facts of what's happening. But you have to realize the context is the same. Jesus had just lost his best friend, John, John the Baptist. He was tired. They were hungry. And their ministry crowds were growing. This is the peak of Jesus' ministry. So look at Luke chapter 9, verse 12. 
It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And last week we learned this, the bread was barley. That's what John said. Barley was animal bread, like dog biscuits. That's not fit for humans to eat. And the fish, the word he used for fish there wasn't like just a, a common word, but he wanted to denote, John wanted to know it was a very small fish, two very small fish. And it said this here, are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for the whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. And again, that's not counting the women and children. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down, and Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up toward heaven, and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they, watch this now, this is important, so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. Get to understand here that this miracle is very unique. Because I'm thinking, like, why is this one the only one recorded in all four Gospels? Why is this miracle, out of all the miracles, of course, the resurrection, but all of the miracles that Jesus did was Jesus doing a miracle, like a, a healing someone. The centurion's daughter is sick. Boom, heal, uh, heals her. Peter's mother-in-law, sick. What happens? He heals her. And you, you remember Jesus denied Peter? Remember that? Many people believe that Jesus denied Peter and got angry because he healed his mother-in-law. I'm joking. Oh, Lord, I, that one never gets old for me. So anyway, I'm sorry if any in-laws are here and it feels weird saying that. But, um, you know, and so Jesus would do a miracle and someone would, would receive it. And the disciples were usually just watching and just like spectating. Like, wow, this is really cool. He just healed this person. Or, man, he raised Lazarus from the dead or whatever the miracle was. The difference between this miracle and every other miracle, and this really just sunk in this week, was this is the only miracle they got to participate in. Even when he turned the water into wine, they didn't go, none of the disciples went and got the jugs and did anything. It was, it was all the people who were serving there. This miracle here was not only the only miracle they got to participate in, but watch this. They were also in need. So they were a recipient and a participator in this miracle. And I believe that is why that was so etched in all of their memories. They all had to put this in their gospel. Because it was when they had an obstacle, they had no clue what to do, and they got to participate because Jesus gave them the fish and loaves to go distribute. And realize it's Jesus. He didn't have to do that. He could have just spoke it and boom, it just popped up. You know, like you know, little bag of lunches and all their groups of 50s and it's done. And then they come back with the basket, 12 baskets of leftovers, one basket for each disciple. Why? Because they got to participate and see Jesus do something they'd never seen before. But here's what we have to understand. They never would have seen that unless they would have had an obstacle first. Unless they would have had something that was a void, something that was a need. They never would have seen the miracle. And I want you to understand today that in the same way, that's what we have to understand. We face obstacles in life. Many times we face obstacles and things go wrong and don't go our way. What happens is we think the obstacle is a curse, but actually the obstacle could be your greatest blessing. Because if the disciples didn't have that obstacle, they never could have participated in this miracle. And so I want you to write this down today. Here's today's big idea, and it's this here. It says we can only experience a miracle if we encounter an obstacle. We can only experience a miracle if we encounter an obstacle. You have to have obstacles in order to experience miracles. 
And I don't know what your obstacles are here in your life. I don't know what you're facing in your life. But what I want to show you today, I want you to understand, is that when those things happen, when you have things come into your life that you don't know how to fix or you know, um, enemies you can't fight or whatever your situation is, and it presents itself to you, I want to boost your faith today. I want you to get the same perspective that God has about your situation. Because many times we see obstacles and we don't have the same perspective God has. We think it's one thing, this is negative, this is terrible, this is bad, why is this happening? And God's saying, man, if you could only see it from my perspective, then you would be able to see what I'm trying to do in your situation. And so friends, many of us want God to do miraculous things in our life and cool things and see his power and see his goodness, but we don't want the very things we need to actually see that happen, which is an obstacle. The feeding of the 5,000 could not have happened unless people were hungry, unless there was no resources. There wouldn't have been a feeding of the 5,000. And I think so many times we miss that. Now, here's what I want to delineate for you, though, because in our culture, I don't think we understand what a miracle really is, and God still works miracles today. There are blessings and there are miracles. Now, a blessing is this here. A blessing is an explained, relatively common occurrence. It's explained, and it's common. So there's many times God will give blessings in your life, Think about this. A blessing for the feeding of the 5,000 could have been that maybe they, they just found, you know, some food. Some people got food. Maybe, they, they had, maybe a couple of little boys had lunches, all that. And that's a blessing. For you, it could be you found $10 on, the, on the, you know, the pavement. You're like, man, this is a blessing. It could be that you got insurance money back more than what you expected. That's a blessing. It could be that someone gives you something. That's a blessing. And are blessings bad? No, blessings are awesome. I mean, I mean, the the scriptures say that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow with it. That's beautiful. And I think many of us do need to pause and just really, we need to be more grateful for the blessings we have, especially in the world that we live in, in our country. Like we, we take electricity and running water for granted when most of the world doesn't have it, right? We're walking around with phones and things like that thinking that we're, we're poor. We should be grateful for blessings. And blessings are really good. But here's the thing about blessings don't need an obstacle. Blessings don't. Miracles do. And blessings can happen all the time to anybody. Every day you can have a blessing. I, I believe we do. We have blessings every day, right? Here's the difference, though, in a miracle. And I want you to write this down. It's very important. A miracle is usually unexplainable, and it's not a common occurrence. That's what a miracle is. It's unexplainable, and it's not a common occurrence. Now, if miracles happened every day, guess what? They wouldn't be miracles anymore. I'm going to say it one more time, because most, most Christians don't even get that. If miracles happened every day, they wouldn't be miracles anymore. Why? Because it'd be common. It'd be a blessing. Think about this. You're watching, like, you know, I, I watched the NCAA uh, tournament, and I was cheering for Florida Atlantic. I used to live about 20 minutes from, from the Owls. I was like, man, let's go. We're cheering for underdogs. If Florida Atlantic won it every year, would they be an underdog anymore? No. If a team wins all the time, it's called a dynasty, not an underdog. The same thing is true with miracles. If it happened all the time, every day, then it would not be a miracle anymore. So number one, it doesn't happen all the time, and usually it's unexplainable. And that's what happened um, with the disciples. It was something so unexplainable, they had to put it in all four Gospels. And I want you to understand this, that there are times, there'll be watershed moments in your life, a few key ones. This will not be all the time. You may have one to three. And maybe you're really spiritual and you have like the 50 and you're going to you know, send me an email about all the 50 miracles you've had. That's awesome. That's not me. I'm probably not as spiritual as you are. 
But you have one to three miracles that happen where it's only the Lord could have done that. Only the Lord could have lined that up. Only the Lord could have rescued. Only the Lord could have done this. And you have no explanation of why that happened the way that it did. It, it confounds. It could be your health. It could be finances. It could be relationships. It could be uh, something physical. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's unexplainable. I know for me, the first miracle I ever experienced was before I even knew the Lord. And I, I was about probably, I don't know, even from 8 to 10 years old, my son's 8, so I'm trying to like gauge it by him. And we would go sometimes on family bike rides on Sunday afternoons, my cousins, my grandmother, and my mom, and you know, we'd all get on bikes and go ride. And to cross the road that we lived on, it was a very busy road there called Highway 24. If you've ever been through North Carolina, it goes from Fayetteville all the way down to Jacksonville. And, you know, and my cousin went across on her bike. As a kid, I didn't even think twice. She went across, and I just sat there, and I just went across too. And all I remember is this. I remember hearing my mom scream, God, no, to the top of her lungs. And I heard car tires squealing, 55 miles per hour. They now had since moved out to 35 after that incident. 50 miles, 55 miles per hour. That's all I remember. It's the scariest moment of my life. I heard car tires screaming. I heard my mom say, God, no, and just screaming. And the next thing that I know, and I, I'm, this is crap, I, I, I am picked up, and I land on the other side of the road just like this. The car is way, I mean, probably with that, that, lo, that wall or, or further down there, and my bike is mangled up under. The guy gets out screaming and shaking. He thought he had killed me. And my whole family is looking. And my grandmother, I'll never forget, my grandma was like, she's like, honey, she said, something picked you up off that bike, literally picked you up and set you on the other side of the road. And I was laying there just shaking. And I was looking around on the other side of the road. And my whole family was completely free. My, and my grandmother said, she said, son, she says, God has a call on your life. The Lord spared you. You should have been killed that day. As a young child, the reason I say that, I, I could tell you things after I became, I became a Christian, but that, that did something inside of me where I knew the Lord was real. I knew there was something about my life, even though I didn't see it. There's no explanation, guys. 55 miles per hour, the bike is completely mangled. And they said, literally, you picked up off the bike and landed on the other side of the road. That was a miracle. Unexplainable. I have no idea. I know now why, because God had a call in my life to preach the gospel and to, you know, to train leaders and do those things. But there are watershed moments. I could go through a, a few more in my life, but there are watershed moments where it's only the Lord, and he will do that in your life. But unless you have an obstacle, unless you have a car coming at 55 miles per hour, unless there's something that you have no power or control over, you'll never get to experience it. And here's what happens in our westernized culture of Christianity, of you know, American Christianized, uh, Americanized Christianity, is this. Is my fear is this here, and here's, here's what happens. If we only want miracles without obstacles, then our faith will become, will become obstinate. If you only want miracles all the time without any obstacles, your faith will be obstinate. It'll be a stubborn faith, a, a faith that's not real. I want to say obsolete, but I believe you'll have faith, but it will not be a strong faith. Because you want God to do something for you without ever going through something. As the old preacher said, you want a testimony without a test. And as you've heard before, you'll never have a testimony unless you actually have a test first. And we have to understand that God will allow these things in your life that are bigger than you, that overwhelm you, that you don't know. And there'll be, the, the, again, these watershed moments where he wants to intervene and do it in a way that you only know it's him. Hebrews eleven six, something I shared a few months ago. As I was studying that passage about faith, by having faith, it, it, it hit me 
because what the writer of Hebrews says was something I had never understood before until I read the Greek. And Hebrews 11.6 says this about faith. It says, and without faith is what? Is it impossible to please God? That's crazy, right? So we all want to please God, right? Are we all on the same page with that? Does anybody just not want to please God here? So I don't raise your hand. If you don't, like, no, I'm drugged to church. I don't want to please God. Because it says this, because anyone who comes to him, that's God, must believe that he exists. And I thought like, yeah, but he exists. I explained that, and maybe you remember how I said it before, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There are two things you have to do when it comes to obstacles in your life. You must believe that he exists. I'll explain that. And then you must believe that he will reward those who earnestly and diligently seek his face. Now, that word, he exists, is interesting. Do you remember when Moses showed up and, like, God comes to him? And Moses is like, well, who do I tell the people that sent me? And Moses is like, I am. He's like, you are what? I am that I am. I mean, there is no beginning, there's no end. And his name was I am. That's why Jesus used the term I am seven times in the Gospel of John to reiterate to the Jews that he was God in the flesh. His name was I am. That means I am. I'm here. That word there, he exists, means he be. Which doesn't make any sense unless you understand it's the same in the Septuagint where it connects the Hebrew and the Greek, which means I am. You must believe that he is the great I am. Again, there is no start with him. There's no finish with him. He's already in your next assignment. He is over everything. He is king of everything. And you've got to believe that, but not only believe that, but then you, you put your money where your mouth is and you start seeking him and you start going after him even when everything is telling you there's a different story coming your way. And that's what we have to understand because if we don't do that, you're never going to grow in your faith. I can tell you that every day, I've had God and my, 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 my best friend and my accountability partner who I talk with every week, he's the one who poured this into me. I'll never forget it and I pray this. I want you to pray this. God, do this in a way I only know it's you. It's unmistakable. So my faith is building you. And some of you need to adopt that prayer, right? Whatever situation, do it in a way. I, it doesn't mean God's going to fix everything. It doesn't mean God's going to make everything go away. But God will come in and meet you in that situation where you only know it's him. It's almost like you and him, you and him had this little thing where you're like, like, like nobody else knows. That was powerful, God. Nobody knew that prayer, yet you answered it. Only you knew that. And that's what we have to understand, guys, in our life. We have to have that mindset that he is. He be. He's the great I am. And I'm going to seek him when I have obstacles coming my way. Because if not, your faith's going to get stagnant. You're not going to grow in it. And you'll never understand how to trust God on a deeper level. So here's what you have to do. Here's what I have to do is this. Embrace the obstacle as an opportunity. And that's what I want you to do as you leave here. Embrace your obstacles as opportunities. Can we be honest? I usually don't view them that way, do you? Do you view the negative things in your life as opportunities? No. I mean, some of y'all are really spiritual. I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm processing it. But you have to see it as an opportunity. I mean, you got to think about whenever they had this situation, the people needed food, Jesus saw it as an opportunity for the disciples to know him in a way they never, never had before. He saw the opportunity for them to participate in this. He saw this as an opportunity. They saw it as an obstacle. I want you, when you have something come your way, 
Don't ask why me. Don't think the Lord's against you. You have a good father, as we sang earlier. He has good plans for you. But can I tell you what good plans entail? Some hard times. Good plans don't mean you go from glory to glory. There's opportunity inside the obstacle if you'll just pull back and understand, Lord, you are working in this and you are moving in this. I'm going to tell you what, what, what I, I, I come to understand whenever I face obstacles. I want you to write this down. This is super important. Here's the opportunity that, that I see. It's an opportunity to see how much you love power and control. As I was thinking about this, like, you know the opposite of faith isn't fear. If you've heard, like, don't be fearful, be full of faith. The opposite of faith and trust is power and control. Faith and trust is you releasing it, and you have no power or control. It's way beyond you. Feeding the 5,000, there's nothing they could do. Not enough money, not enough resources. They had no power, they had no control. And I think many of us really love power and control. And much, much of our prayers are, God, make it so easy and controllable for me. Make it where I have power in this situation. Now, I know you're not praying that exactly, but have you ever surveyed your prayer life? I know I do, and it gets kind of, it's kind of sad. It's an opportunity to see how much you love that. Because it's in those situations that you don't have the resources. You don't, you, you don't have enough to fix it, whatever last, last week we said. You understand, I love power and control way too much. And the very essence of trusting your Father is releasing that. And saying, God, I have none. There's nothing I can do in this situation. Usually, I don't feel empowered in those situations. I feel defeated. Have you ever felt that way? When you get in those situations where you, don't, you can't fix it and it's bigger than you, do you, do you ever get defeated and feel that way? I, I know I do. Where the mindset shift I've had to have happen is this. It's an opportunity to trust the Lord that I'm not in control and thank the Lord I'm not God, right? Amen? So here's what we have to do and here's how we do this. I want to encourage you when you're looking at opportunities, the first thing is this. It's an opportunity to see where you don't trust God. To this point, the disciples had seen Jesus do all types of miracles. But none of them said to him, well, Lord, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You can, you know, multiply the bread. Remember what you did with the wine? That was awesome. I'm sure you can do that. None of them said that. Why? They didn't trust Jesus could do this. It's not bad. I mean, we all get to those places. Anytime you hit an obstacle and you are fearful and you feel defeated, it's probably an area you just don't trust God. And can I tell you, God's not mad with you. If you're struggling to trust in God in a situation, he's not looking down and you going, come on, man, really? He wants to show you how he can move in that situation. But this is an opportunity right now. For, I don't know who this is for here. For you to trust God in a way you've never trusted God before. And that's what we have to do is trust God on that level. The second thing we have to understand is this. It's an opportunity to see what God has never done in your life. To this point, the disciples had never seen that. And this is an opportunity. As I was praying about this message this week, I, I thought about Abraham. Remember Abraham and Isaac? And the Lord told Abraham, go sacrifice your son on the mount. Like, at that point, I'm checking out, y'all. I'm, I'm serious, like, I'm saved. I'm, I'm getting to heaven. I ain't killing my son. I'm like, God, I love you, but I will not. I can't do that. And Abraham has this journey on top of a mountain with his son who's carrying the wood, understanding he's going to have to kill his son. That the Lord is requiring that, which is strange to him. 
He had no control over the situation. He had no power because he knew what the Lord had told him to do. And he goes to the top of that mountain, and he raises the knife up, and right as he's getting ready to come down with it, he hears a ram in the thicket that an angel had placed there. And it's at that moment it says that there he saw God's provision. He said at that moment he then called the Lord Jehovah Jireh my provider. Do you know why he had never had to have God provide on that level until that point? And whenever you get in those situations, you're going to get to see, some of you don't know God as Jehovah Jireh. And you're going to run into provision issues where only the Lord can provide. And he's going to reveal that to you. Some of you don't know Jehovah Rapha, my healer, because you never had to experience that. Where it's out of your control. As I said, God either delivers from death or delivers through death, right? Like God will either do, he's going to work, he's going to move in that situation, but you've never seen him in that way. Some of you have never known the Lord to be Jeho- like, like your righteousness. You've never known those things. And when you run into situations like the feeding of the 5,000 in their life and you have that same insurmountable situation, it's an opportunity to know God in a way you've never known God before. Because some of you have always had a strategy and a way to fix it and a way to get bailed out, and this is the first time you've had to rely upon God fully. And that's my prayer for you, that your faith will be deepened. You look now and you say, now I know him as Jehovah Jireh. Now I know him as my provider. Now I know him as my healer. And that deepens your faith in the Lord. And finally, amen, and finally, here's what the opportunity is. It's an opportunity to show the power of the gospel to the world. And that's, that's, that's mainly what it is. When you look at God, John's gospel, as I said before, he never used the word miracle. He used the word sign. And what does that mean? John had a very unique focus for Jesus and what he did. He wasn't just going around healing people and doing good things. It was a sign pointing back to his deity. So when Jesus would perform a miracle or a sign, then he would tell them who he was. And he used the word I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I, over, I am the good shepherd. And see, it's in those situations when God shows up and meets you in those situations that you're able to transfer to other people your faith. People can, people can sense if your faith is real, not up here, but it's deep in. Well, you can say, look, man, I don't, I don't know what you're going through, and I don't, I don't know the pain you're experiencing, but I can tell you this, Jesus Christ met me in my obstacle. Jesus met me in that situation. Let me tell you what the Lord did for me. And that is when you will begin to understand the power of God in other people's lives, showing the gospel to the world. My grandparents were the ones who did that for me. I would sit there, and I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't believe in the Bible. I didn't go to church. And they would tell me over and over again how the Lord met them in their situations, how the Lord healed or did this or did that miraculously in those watershed moments, those one to three, maybe even five if you're really spiritual. And I knew I I didn't understand Jesus, church, Bible, all that, but I couldn't deny that it showed up in their life powerfully, that God moved on their behalf. And friends, that's what God wants to do with you. Right now, what you're facing is a testimony for somebody else to believe in the gospel. And I know it's hard for you right now, but the Lord is going to use that. 
embrace the obstacle as an opportunity. Think about this. Next week, we celebrate the greatest miracle that has ever happened in human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that we could have remission of sins, forgiveness, and we could be reconnected to our Heavenly Father, right? The greatest miracle. You could not have a resurrection without Him being crucified and dying first. And my fear is so many of us want resurrection stories without burials. And I, I don't know what your burial is right now, but I can tell you this. That obstacle can turn into a miracle. For the Lord does it in a way you only know it's Him, and you leave with your faith bolstered, saying, God, I never knew you in this way before, intimately. Some of you have not told people something you're praying about that you want, that you need. I believe the Lord's going to answer you. And maybe this won't be for you to tell the world, but to strengthen your intimacy with Him. Because your Father loves you guys. He's not left you. He's not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. He cares about every stinking detail of your life. He loves it. He cares for you. And when you're going through something and you're facing something, He's with you through it. And He wants to do something in a way you only know it's Him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would help us, Lord, strengthen our faith, that God, some of us are facing obstacles right now that God, you want to do a miracle in. And you want us to participate in what you're doing, to experience what you're doing. So God, I pray that we would all have that in here. And God, not for us just to have our needs met, but Lord, so the power of the gospel would go to the world that we could share with others that don't believe in a Bible, that don't, maybe not even believe in you, but they can't deny what has happened in our life and how you met us. May we use that, Lord, for the world, that they would be open to you, Lord. I pray for every person in here right now. Encourage them in their faith. Strengthen their faith. Deepen their faith. And may they, Lord, this week ask the question, God, what opportunity do you have inside my obstacle? How are you going to show up, Lord, in a way I only know it's you? And Father, I pray there will be people who get met in that, Lord. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you're a good Father who loves us. You're with us no matter what we face, God. You're for us no matter what we face. And you want us to be strengthened in you, intimate with you. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. And as we pray today, church, in this moment of prayer, Maybe you want to have that life where God is involved in every detail. Maybe you want to have that life where you're connected to your heavenly Father and he's meeting you in situations and, and you're growing in intimacy, but you know you don't follow Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord and maybe you walked away, which is fine. God's not angry with you. Maybe you gave your life to him as a young child and then you walked away from your faith. The Lord, is he's never moved. He is right where he's always been. He's calling you today to give your life to him, to surrender to Christ. So that's you today. You say, Kevin, for the first time ever, I'm making this decision. I'm following Jesus. Or maybe you walked away and you say, I'm coming back to my faith. I miss my heavenly father. I know he loves me. No matter what side of the fence you're on today, the Lord opens his arms up to you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me and pray this prayer after me. You say, God, 
I need Jesus. I need the Savior. I need to be saved. For I know I'm a sinner. And today, I turn from my old life. I repent. And I receive forgiveness of sins. Because I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you rose again on the third day. And I believe you're a Lord. Today, I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.